Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah, release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. You cannot address your body liberation unless you address your greater liberation, which is why so many people and so many women end up going on diets because they assume if they lose weight, it'll make them feel more desirable or get them a partner or it'll solve something. But the truth is that if you have an emotional relationship to your body and food in some way, that Band-Aid will never, ever a work for you in the long run or actually really offer you a tool to deal with what you're dealing with. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today, I am joined with Sarah Sapora. Welcome. Hi, Knuckle It's been a long time coming. Fist bump. Yeah, I know. We've been, we've been Instagram friends for, oh man, six years. Are you going to remember the first time we met? Ah, Where was the first time we met? We were at Wanderlust in Palm Springs. At oh, wow. Well, well, spring. Yep. And That's I right. kind of like, I'm not going to say I super fangirled you, but <laughs> I kind of super fangirled you. And I was like, look, I know you don't know me from a hole in the wall, but I feel like I can be helpful to you in some way. And yeah, that was 2018. So like five or six years ago. But we knew each other before that because we interacted on Instagram yep. quite a bit. We had been Instagram That's peeps right. before that. Yeah. Yes, as all great friendships begin on Instagram. It's like a Casablanca movie, like in with black and white and like bogey and on Instagram we began. Play it again, Sam. I know. I I uh have been excited to speak with you because I know you birthed your book, Soul Archaeology. So yeah. congratulations. I love the name of that. Thank you. Thank you. I have been super excited to talk to you. Um so ready for like a real, 
real conversation that doesn't skim on the surface because neither one of us are skim on the surface kind of people, and I love that. And I'm in the middle of book insanity. I had my first little mini meltdown yesterday, which I feel like is totally cool. I may have emotionally eaten some white Cheetos, but I did it intentionally. <laughs> I knew I was doing it, and I offered myself some accountability and compassion and then said, fuck it, let's move forward. So I yeah. love a good Cheeto. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have one, have the cheese ones. You know, I've never had a hot Cheeto. You haven't? No. No, they're good too. I mean, I haven't eaten a Cheeto in a long time. If I do go to them, I go to those cheese ones that are like at Whole Foods. Mary something, I think is the brand. So here's the kicker, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I'm like the only human in the world who doesn't like cheese, but I like a Cheeto. It's very weird. I think if there's like I have something- a friend who doesn't like Melted cheese. Melted cheese is like my personal hell. Actually, oh, wow. liquid nacho cheese. Like the kind of nacho cheese they go and like squish oh, it. Over like them. the pump related yeah, one? Pumped, yeah, that's... Pumped cheese is my... <laughs> I actually look back now and don't worry, we'll get to where we're going for you, the listener. But this is important because I can't believe I've eaten cheese that is essentially melted plastic. Like when I look back at and I'm sure for people listening, we've all experienced this, like the foods that I've eaten that thankfully my body had some ability to break down yeah. and get out. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I did not nourish myself. You should generally. try that shit now and see how it feels because it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Like now I'm, man, I just started to, I worked with a friend of mine who's a nutritionist and she was like, you are under eating protein by so much. Like you need to massively increase your protein. And since I did, which is about two months ago, completely changed my, I don't have cravings anymore. I'm actually eating for dessert, a hundred percent chocolate. Yeah. No, I, when I had dug in with nutrition stuff as well, that was one of the big things I learned was just how much protein a body really needs and just right. how little of it we get naturally is insane. And they tell you to eat more of it. And then you have to like find creative ways to add Greek yogurt into your life. Like all of a sudden you're making That's my morning. chicken salad Greek yogurt. With Greek yogurt. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> Half a scoop of protein powder, you know, mm. a little. Yeah. All right. Well, this is all applicable to the subject at hand, which is not just self-love, but also how self-love and the journey that you take people on is about liberating themselves. So Let's get into that because I think one of the, maybe uh, there's misconceptions about the term self-love and there's often this thought that it's like bubble baths and candles and chocolate, which, hey, it is. But like, can you maybe get into how you define it? Yeah, thank you for sure. Um, listen, bubble baths and all that kind of stuff are awesome, but we've somehow equated self-love with treating yourself or splurging yourself or in many cases getting away with stuff we might normally get away with, right? And all of those things are okay, but I truly don't believe that's what self-love is. I believe that self-love is any thought that you think or anything that you do. So any thought or any action that connects you closer to your ultimate you. And your ultimate you is something very specific. And it's a version of you that has nothing to do with your age, your weight, your boobs, your money, your boss babe status, none of those things. It's defined, in my opinion, by two things. One, your ability to be self-aware and radically honest with yourself at any given time. 
So at any given time, your ability to be able to drop in and to connect with yourself and like editorialize, this is what I'm feeling, exactly what I'm like, feeling. Tell that the myself. truth. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Two, the ability to be connected and committed to what you learn when you when you tell the truth to yourself and following through. So you can't lie to yourself, you can't be willing to lie to yourself, and you can't bullshit yourself. That doesn't mean you can't be compassionate and you can't hold space for yourself, but you can't bullshit yourself. So the version of you that tells the truth and doesn't bullshit yourself, that is your ultimate you. And that can look like so many different things, and it can be messy and beautiful and all those things. But self-love is what serves that version of you. So self-love is never going to be self-abandonment. Self-love is never going to be ignoring hard things. Self-love is oftentimes the most icky, messy, brutal, hard stuff that we can possibly do or think in the present sense, because in the long run, it's what's going to move us forward the most. It's the stuff that can bring you to your knees and the icky things that you don't want to talk about or think about. But sometimes the most self-loving things that are the hardest to do are ultimately what is going to unlock us and liberate us in the long run. So I believe that at any point in time in my life, if I feel like my head is up my ass or I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> I sit around and I think about how is it that I really want to feel in my life and what is the most self-loving thing I can do for myself. And therefore, I stay committed to living a self-loving life. And when I am living a self-loving life, it means that I'm prioritizing self-love over self-abandonment. That's it. It means I am prioritizing Serving myself with honesty, lack of bullshit, follow through over um, over what's easy, right? Doing what I know will serve me versus not. And you're either living a self-loving life or you're not. But at the core of that is what do I need right now to connect me and bring me closer to that ultimate you? And it can be anything you do or anything you think. What brought you to that? Because... And I guess my curiosity is, although I'm, I think I know the answer because I know for me the answer. Have you always lived that way? No, you know? fuck no, I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm 44, uh, and I didn't. Hey, I didn't, I'm 44. Too. Yeah, no, that's we were like we're like <laughs> age birthday. Are you a Virgo? You are, aren't you? I'm a Scorpio. You're a Scorpio. Okay, so I'm older than you. So respect your elders, young man. Yeah, wisdom <laughs> bomb right there. Um. Yeah. So no, no, I self abandoned my entire life completely subconsciously. No idea of all the ways that I. I was cock blocking myself and getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, getting in the way of living a self-loving life. I, I, I really didn't start to see that until I was like 36, 37. And the thing that, that made me figure it out, or at least made me realize that maybe I'm doing something weird here, was that I was in the same relationship again and again and again. I, I really wanted like intimacy and like love. And I was, you know, mid thirties and everybody else was getting married and I was having, and having kids. And like, I was doing none of those things. I was like, okay, different man, same cowboy boots. And it would be really <laughs> easy to blame all of that on them, say it's their fault. But at the end of the day, I was the common thread in all of that. So the first thing I had to step back and do was realize, okay, well, what am I doing that is allowing all of these things to happen. What What is the container, which is a freaking word I hate, like container, you know, <laughs> but how am I showing up for relationships that this is what's happening? And that was when I started to realize that. And when I really figured it out, 
was a couple of years later in 2019 when I walked away from a relationship with a man I now know like represented my biggest core wound and it was the most brutal thing ever but I also knew it was the most liberating thing I was ever going to do and I would say how how hard is this and how lucky am I and I would sort of be all sarcastic like oh how lucky am I that I have to walk away from the one person I really love but then I would go no wait wait fuck wait I'm I'm 39 40 years old I'm finally waking up to shit. Wait, I am I am lucky. And and maybe this is actually really good. I mean, it sucks. It sucks a big one. I'm sitting around crying and drinking Snapple and listening to Fleetwood Mac Silver Springs again and again and again on repeat. But like maybe this is actually really beautiful. And maybe instead of seeing this as being my destruction, I can see it as being an opportunity for me to build something. And that was when my real understanding of self-love started to shift because even in the middle of like, you know, we've all been through chaotic breakups with partners that like make us orgasm just by looking at us, but are so unhealthy, right? We've all been in those toxic relationships that are so amazing that they suck every part of us. And we can't imagine existing in a way where we're not mirrored by them, right? And, and to, to remove that feels like a collapsing of your skeletal structure, right? And then I realized I was okay. Like, I was a fucking hot mess. There were days, you know, I'm not going to say days, but how many days did I do messy buns not wanting to, you know, leave the house? And again, That's actually pretty cool now, though, like messy buns, the clean bun. Yeah, right? it wasn't cute, though. It wasn't like, oh, this is a cute messy bun. It was like, oh, maybe you should shower. Because- it was like I just pulled myself together to yeah. get vertical. Yeah, it was I, like I yeah. just went to bed listening to my Spotify oh shit playlist, and now I have to move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that was when I figured it out. That was when I realized that the most brutal things could be the most self-loving. And instead of continually looking for the easiest choice, which I think so many of us are just programmed right. to do, Agreed. Um, what is the most self-loving thing? Because the most self-loving thing is not always the easiest. And that was when I really figured that out. So I've, I think I've gotten, I've gotten that one under my skin for like three or four years, and it has totally changed how I make every big decision in my life. And I love it. And sometimes people don't fucking understand it. And then I realize I'm 44 years old and my decisions don't have to make sense to everybody as long as they're self-loving for me. If they serve me and, you know, I'm still a good, decent human being and I'm, you know, acting accordingly, then that's what's in service of me. That's, that's what I need. That's self-love for me. And self-love for me is going to be different than self-love for you, Mark. We're all going to have different versions of what self-love is. So yeah, that was around 2019. Well, I think at the baseline of what you're saying is something I deeply resonate with, which is when I was finally willing to tell myself the truth about who I was and how I was impacting other people and the truth of how I behaved and the truth of what I chose, not the bullshit, uh, everything's fine, I can excuse my choices, you know, and and even find, because I think when we're not in alignment with truth, obviously we create anxiety, we create, I, I think that's the source of addictions because at the baseline of that is pain of misalignment. And I remember one of the first times I really had that sort of come to Jesus conversation with myself was the first time I chose something that was really hard, but was necessary. And it was one of the first times I really saw that I could trust my inner voice, my inner guide. But the reason I say all that 
is because I remember one of the first things I said to myself was, how did I get here? Like, how did I get so disconnected from myself? And the answer I had was, you avoided every hard conversation. And when I think about witnessing your journey too, because I've been, you know, alongside uh, your Instagram stories and posts, <laughs> uh, and being able to just converse with you as you navigate this stuff, I'm curious, how has that awakening of sorts to like realness, how has that coincided with the journey that you've had with your body? Well, for those people who don't know, um, I'm a plus size woman and I am a larger plus size woman and I have been larger than I am now. Um, but I am someone that has had an impulsive and emotional relationship to food, which also not coincidentally has correlated with an impulsive and emotional relationship to sex and intimacy and false intimacy, and also therefore an impulsive relationship to money and acquiring things and how I treat myself, right? So one of the most difficult things I ever did, and it's going to sound so silly, like it's going to sound really silly, but like the come to Jesus reckoning moment that I had when I finally saw all the shit that I have done when I was just trying to feel loved and, and like actually putting that out on paper to myself, I don't even have words for how hard that was, but also words for how fucking amazing it was to forgive myself and remove the shame that I didn't even know I was carrying for all of that, for all of the things that I did, all the people that I did, whose names I remember or don't remember, all of the Burger King that I ate at three o'clock in the morning, like all of the different choices that I made when I was trying to feel more comfortable or less lonely or less abandoned or not think about myself, all of those stuffs and things that I did, I had to see all that. Like I had to have a reckoning and it wasn't easy. It sucked. It sucked and I cried. And I remember I was on the phone one day with a friend of mine who was British and he called me and he said, um, Sarah, have you, have you thought to forgive yourself yet? Mm. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like I'm Jewish from New York. I do anxiety. <laughs> I do like all this stuff. And he's like, no, but if if you've had the courage to see all of this, then, you know, with his little accent, you should forgive yourself for it. That's that's okay, too. And so I did. I wrote a letter. I literally wrote Beautiful. a letter. I wrote a letter to, to my dad. I wrote a letter to uh, several ex-partners and boyfriends. And I wrote a massive, massive long letter to myself. And the tears just fucking streamed. And I was like, I forgive you for the time that you tried to sleep with men and manipulated them because they were being nice to you and you didn't know how to handle that. And the only thing you knew was to have random sex. Like, I forgive you for this. Like to I, reward them. Yeah. I forgive you for not treating your body better. What I'm trying to say is that you cannot address your body liberation if you are someone that has an emotional relationship to food and, and your weight. You cannot address your body liberation unless you address your greater liberation, which is why so many people and so many women um, end up going on diets because they assume it'll be a fast fix. They assume if they lose weight that it will make whatever hurts hurt less, right? It'll, it'll, it'll make them feel more desirable or get them a partner or it'll solve something, right? But the truth is that if you have an emotional relationship to your body 
and food in some way, that Band-Aid will never, ever, ever a work for you in the long run or actually really offer you a tool to deal with what you're dealing with. So I could not deconstruct the relationship that I had to food. I could not deconstruct the relationship that I had to my body until I was able to see that other stuff and realize that I was not going to stop searching for tools if I didn't go to the source of what was hurting me. Does that, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like the addiction to trying to find the solution as opposed to going right into the, exactly. what is the, the cure for the pains and the exactly. pain. Like it makes and that's why that. it's so interesting. You can, anybody who's, who, not anybody, I don't mean to speak with a, a glib generalization, but so many people who have addictive behaviors, like you, everybody can find a tool to fix something temporarily, right? It's super sexy. It's fun to buy a new planner. Often or a new feels good. Plan. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's cool because it gives you an immediate satisfaction of, oh my God, <laughs> I've done planner. something great, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it's not about the tool. It's about why we go to the tool and then figuring out how to have a better relationship with that tool. Does, does yeah, that make it, sense? It does. And I'm curious because when I think about resistance to change and I think about, you know, letting go of old habits or old identities, I think one of the core, and I'm curious your thoughts on this and your experience with this, I, I, I think a lot of the resistance to transformation is actually the familiarity of the thing, even the identity. Oh, you yeah. know, it's like, I don't know who I am without X, Y, Z. So, I can't change because then I got to let go of the power that I source. And it, even if it's painful, but it's power, it's, oof, that could be. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I, no, fuck. Yeah. So, I mean, you know <laughs> this, right? Like we all, well, we don't all know this, but but we know this is that the f familiarity, even if it's dysfunctional, can be comforting because we know it, right? We, we know what it's going to, It's we know how it plays out. And it takes it's a lot often of It's often arousing too. That's the weird thing. Like, you know, when you're used to humping to deal with your shit, I was just gonna you're make still a, humping. Yeah. Like you're still humping. So like by, your brain is like humping's the best and it's way better than thinking I suck or I make bad choices or I'm, you know, whatever belief I have about myself. Do you want to hear painful. the funny thing that I always tell? I mean, it's not funny, but it is. It's funny because I make it funny, but it's, it's probably really not. I tell people that there's <laughs> probably so many pictures of my boobs on the internet that I could never run for president. Like that's, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but like. I mean, it is funny, but it's also like the, I get that. Like, first off, you wouldn't be, I'm sure the first president, there's for sure pictures. Well, of I mean, I'm just saying Trump's like, if I, if I think of all the years. Adele Biden has a picture of his wiener on the, Justin Trudeau though, Justin he has, definitely he did. has blackface. Oh, he, that wasn't good. Yeah. Sorry to throw out your dirty no, laundry, no, no, Justin. No, no. I was, I was Justin, not you. Me. You're fine. You're right. So hold on. You got booby pics on the internet, and you're you're saying like that was was that like one of the? Well, you know, I mean, look, I spent a lot of my years using my body as currency to to like get attention. It was the trade off, right? And because I really, 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 really wanted a connection, I really wanted to connect with somebody, but I wasn't getting that. But I realized that like there was a role that I could play. Like I could be the sassy, flirty, big girl that had big tits and big boobs. And like that would work for me. So I always used to say like, I don't know who you are, dude, but if you like 
big chicks with a great ass and like a dirty sense of humor, like I got you. And, and that's how I showed up. Like that was my first strike weapon. And I desperately wanted to be taken seriously, but I was showing up as that. And until I like realized that if I keep what showing was the up, cost to that? well, I'm 44 and I've never been married and I don't have kids. And I never yeah. thought that I would be here. You know, I, I mean, the cost of that was some painful relationships, a lot of self-abandonment, and decades worth of time. I think each time I did that, although it really felt good, I think I, I chipped away at who I was. And I don't want to be like, wah, wah, wah. You know, like, eh, I feel bad you for me. You can wah, wah. Because, I, I, like, your exploration of this is... Uh, from a place of wisdom now. So it's not like you're oversharing or weaponizing your vulnerability. You're like, this hurt and now I'm savage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like there's a, there's well, I think, you know, look, and also I, I don't have any problem if you want to take dirty pictures and feel, you know, look, I, I, I'm a kink-friendly person and I support all forms of sexual exploration. I think it's where it comes from. It's you know? the intention behind it. Are you using it as a coping mechanism? Or are you consciously showing up for that interaction? Is it a self-loving interaction or not? Is it self-love or not to show up the way you're showing? And for me, it was not. When did you have that recognition of the uh, person that you presented versus like the Sarah below that, you know, and... And what you actually craved, they saw within you once you were beyond the sort of, because you did develop a superpower from that skill, right? Like you're able to take painful things and bring levity to them because you've mastered a skill of humor. And and so I often think like our survival strategies become our superpowers when they're not about distraction, but about connection. Mm -hmm. So yeah, can you speak to like th that, like what was behind that and then when you recognized it? Yeah, so... It was probably the first time I figured it out in stages. The first time it was like maybe 2015. And I realized that I was wearing the same outfit to all of my first dates, regardless of where they were or who they were, who they were with. And like, I was wearing like a super, super bodycon dress, like showing up like fat Carrie Underwood with like big hair and cowboy boots. And I showed up, bless my heart, for a pancake breakfast at like eight o'clock on a Sunday morning looking like, like that. And I realized, although it's fine, it's good. I did it. It was great. I looked hot, but like I had armor. I had armor. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. realized that I was showing up in my armor. And I realized that I was going on lots of first dates where I did my shtick again and again and again, but never any more dates than that. And um, I was in therapy and I was talking about that and we realized that that's, I was armoring up to meet men and I named that version of me. I named her Brunhilda because she was a warrior and she put on her armor and she put on her breastplate and her freaking Wagnerian horns because I, <laughs> well, I was a music major in college, so I got that joke. And that's how I showed up. I showed up armored up. I could not show up as me because I didn't know who I was. All I knew was this shtick that I was really good at doing. And I vividly remember the first date that I ever went on that I wasn't dressed up like that. Like I showed up in jeans and just like a basic shirt with my titties not hanging out. And it was so scary, but so awesome. Um, so first was, it started with 
the very surface level of the soul archaeology observation. The very first level of discovery was seeing that I was wearing the same thing on dates again and again and realizing that like I had to put my costume on. That that's how I thought that if I was going to offer a man value, that was the currency that I had to offer. Mm-hmm. And then once I started to see that I stopped dating in general because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything else and I wasn't ready to show up any other way. It was too raw. It was just too raw. I was like, I don't have an alternative. I'm not ready for that, but I know what's not working for me because I think so often in times when we're thinking about self-improvement, we're chasing a solution and people say, well, just do what'll make it better and do what'll make you happy. But how the fuck are you supposed to do what'll make you happy if you've never done it before and you have no idea? Then you're just spinning your wheels, right? So what I say is, well, you don't need to search for some magical solution. Just start where it hurts. Start with what's not working for you. And if you just start there and follow the trail, you'll go somewhere. So if showing up like Broomhilda with all of my assets on display and looking fierce as fuck for pancakes at eight o'clock in the morning and then sending dirty texts later wasn't getting me where I wanted to be, well, maybe I should just stop doing that and just see what happens, (laughs) right? And in the space that that creates. Because when you stop a behavior, if you don't have something, if you don't have a coping mechanism place, right, it leaves a bunch of emptiness. It, It leaves a bunch of holes. If you learn to sit in that emptiness that you've created without filling it up with something else, then eventually you'll learn something new. And as long as you keep going down that direction, you'll grow. How do you stay in that? How do you pause? Because I think the pause that you're speaking to is creation, is death, is possibility, is grief, is right? Because that's the space between. That's the like, yeah, it's the fall. Cocoon. It's the that's fall. a cocoon. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you have to get, re- I hate this word too. I hate it with a passion. Bring and, it. Yeah. What I is hate it? the word surrender. Moist? Oh, no. surrender. <laughs> People hate the word moist. No, why moist? It's like, yeah, everybody hates moist. No, surrender. Because it's one of those words that everybody knows they really want to do and think about. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's It's so romantic. Yeah, surrender. Surrender. It's like boundary. You know, like everyone wants a boundary, but. You want to know something? You taught me a lot about boundaries. You. I learned a tremendous amount about boundaries from you. I'm going to tell you a secret that you don't even know. That's a good secret then. Well, now you and everybody else is going to know. In the first draft of my book that I wrote during my breakup in 2019, I quoted you. Oh, what was the quote? It was a quote about boundaries because I had never heard them or understood them. And I had really related to your vulnerability in talking about personal relationships, right? Because that's sort of how we have found a common thread. We've both have been willing to talk about how we kind of showed up in personal relationships and what that did. And I had never heard boundaries and, and I'll find it for you. But yeah, you, you young man taught me about boundaries. <laughs> young man. Yeah. I'm like four months younger I know, but than it you. Just I like that. I, no, it felt good. It felt good. <laughs> I felt younger. Yeah. I, So I searched forever for a non-toxic deodorant stick, and I'm not sure about you, but my experience with them is once I Googled the ingredients, I was like, ah, this has still got some stuff in it. Or if it wasn't toxic, 
it just didn't work that good. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for letting the pheromones out, but it was not the, not the right kind of pheromones. But I'm happy to say I finally found one that I love, and it's from a company called Primally Pure. And they don't just make deodorant, they have a whole line of non-toxic skincare products that are made with ingredients that you don't have to Google. Mm, isn't that great? They're headquartered in Southern California, and all the stuff is done by their skincare chefs who value freshness and purity. So I'm very excited to be partnering with Primally Pure. And the company's founder, Bethany, is a mom of two and the wife of a farmer who truly cares about the integrity of the ingredients they use and the products they create. And for me, as a new father, this matters because I want to have the best, cleanest possible products for my baby Jasper. That is so important to Kylie and I. And this company has a whole baby line. So if this sounds like something that's really important to you and you don't know exactly which products to use, they do help you create a skincare routine with it awesome quiz that they do on their website. And the best part is that Primarily Pure offers a happiness guarantee and they'll give you your money back if you're not satisfied. But I know you will be because Kylie and I absolutely love and trust their products. So if this all sounds like something you want to check out and try, Primarily Pure has given you, my listeners, a special code to use when you order. Just go to primallypure.com today and use the code MarkGroves, just my name, and you get 15% off your order. So that's Primarily P-R-I-M-A com, and use the code Mark Groves at checkout. Save 15%. So surrender, let's go. So the word surrender, I agree with you. It, it has like, what's on the other side of it, we know is delicious. It's light, right. it's freeing. It's, yep. what is it, you know, like to do it, to embody it is like a whole other yeah, to do it and to embody it is is unattractive and sticky and messy and gross. So the way <laughs> unless I'm, it's in like a bondage or something, but yeah, other well, than that's that, an entirely yeah. different podcast. That's a different podcast <laughs> scheduled later. Scheduled uh, later. Doms later. and submissives, we've got you. <laughs> so the the visualization that I have around it, because it's just one of those sort of nebulous, where it's like, surrender. It's like Glenda on The Good Witch. What are you actually telling me to do? Because right now when right. you tell me to surrender, I want to throat punch you, right? So <laughs> I think about it as like in an action movie, like maybe a Bruce Willis movie or Mission Impossible, like Tom Cruise is hanging on a cliff, right? He's got his fingers on the cliff and he's dangling and there's a bad guy who's like kicking at his fingers, right? And, and, and he looks down and there's like gorgeous, gorgeous water below, but it's really far down. But all he has to do is figure out how to fall and figure out how to get from the letting go to the, to the water. Because once he's in the water, he knows that he's fucking Tom Cruise and he can do whatever he's going to do. And he'll float like no matter what. He will take a, a, a roll of duct tape and a matchstick and make a boat. Like it'll be fine. He just has to let go. So surrendering is giving yourself permission to fall and get from the, the, the fingers gripping to the, oh, I'm okay now. Like it's, it's, it's letting yourself fall. So it's a skill. How do you practice that skill? How do you practice the skill of surrendering? It has a ton to do with being willing to be messy, sticky, and uncomfortable and know you're okay with that. And that's it. And it doesn't look like anything. It's not performative. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. It is how comfortable can you be with saying, I'm a bit of a fucking mess right now, but I also know that I'm okay. I also know my basic needs are met. 
I am safe, I'm healthy, I am loved, I am held, I am good, but I am a hot mess. And that is okay, because I will not always be a hot mess. I know at some point in time, I'll hit the bottom and I'll swim, because I'm confident that I can swim. It's how do you get from up there to there, and that's what surrendering is. Willing to be an icky, beautiful, disgusting, hot mess, knowing full well that you can be icky and beautiful and sticky and hot messy and be completely okay at the exact same time. Yeah, that's true. Holding that paradox that messiness means brokenness, you know, which it, which it doesn't, right? Like to be messy is to be human. But because we've, especially with so, social media, amplified this perfectionism that it's like, you know, we get this highlight reel of people's lives or we get performative vulnerability, you know, both exist where we, we are like using vulnerability to yeah. be able to vulnerability porn. That's what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you were saying about like, it's not performative. I was thinking that's so interesting because even the irony of performative surrender would be that it's a complete lack of surrender, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. So when I consider what you're saying and I think about surrendering on that level, that is, to me, feels like that place of like, uh, no more. Like, no, I'm acknowledging where I am. I'm done running from my pain or done running. Like, I've hit the end of, of the possibility of living with this mask any longer, carrying this weight. Like, carrying what it does not need to be carried anymore. And now I'm going to look, I'm going to actually turn towards myself for the first time and be messy and let it all fucking fall down. It's being comfortable with saying, it just is. Yeah. Yeah. Just being with the truth again is it just is, it just is, you know, um, I used to have a a boyfriend, the same boyfriend. Was this the 2019 guy? Yeah. Yeah. Who's in my book who super hot core wound guy, super hot (laughs) core wound guy. Yeah. We call him George in my book. That's not his name but he's named after a George Strait. Strait. I was about to say if I can George Strait. Of course it is. Yeah. You know me. It's got to be a George Strait song. Um, He used used to say to me, just ride the wave, Sarah. Just let's just ride the wave of this relationship. And I would want it to be like, go fuck yourself because that doesn't work for me. Like, Hey, that's a cop out. And I don't like that, but I don't, that's not how I work. Like I need to shape it, touch it, strangle it, fuck it, hold it. Like I need their, no, tell me. And I'm like, that's not surrender. Now, granted that was a dickhead thing to say. So it's a terrible example, but the exact opposite is just a sort of a situational awareness and peace doesn't even mean you need to be happy about it. It's just sort of like an editorial narrator going, it just is. It is. It just is. It just is. That's it. It's very like Pema Chodron Buddhist. Like I had, I did a lot of that reading, like, because that idea of Mm, attachment. When things fall apart. Yeah. Such such a good book. The great, listen, you guys, if you're listening, if you are going through shit, the first book that I recommend to anybody is When Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice so for Difficult Times. It's like the greatest book for this. But it teaches you, again, how to lean into the sharp points of your pain and how to realize that that you don't have to like it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to pretend that it's okay. You just have to have a softer relationship to it. That's what surrender is. It's It's cooler loneliness versus hot loneliness. It's... <laughs> Yeah, we you know that that shit that she writes. It's it's just it just she's just yeah. I I like what you're saying. This like entrance, the willingness to be 
in that space. And the, for me, it's been the recognition of the juiciness in the grief, like the juiciness in the end, the juiciness in uh, the bottom. Like it, uh, when I think about the breakup I had with Kai, like so much of, it brought me so much more alive to the absolute spectrum of emotion I actually was capable of feeling and was always there. But I was shut off to, you know, using other techniques, coping mechanisms, self-abandoning, you know, and and that being like, the voice is like, but hey, and I'm like, yeah, you're pretty needy, you you know, know, or whatever it is. That whole idea of, like people say, would you rather not love at all than to have loved than lost? And I, I remember like before I had felt love when I was really, really lonely that I would sit in my bed at night and I would just feel nothing. I would just not feel. I, and I would say, I, I'd rather lose somebody because then at least I'd know I was alive. At least I'd hmm. know I had the ability to Like it would bring you alive. Yeah. yeah. At least I would know that I'm capable of a depth of love that is possible, right? And it's, and yeah, losing any person or thing you love is not easy. And I'm not trying to be glib with that, but yeah, when you can, when you can embrace the full spectrum of, of colors in black, you can embrace the full spectrum of colors in light, right? You kind of need one in order to see the other. You, you need to know that both exist and then it makes everything more alive in general. So is soul archaeology and the map of of doing it, I like that in your subtitle, is a totally doable because <laughs> so many things aren't doable. So I really like that. And just for everybody watching, here's what the book looks like. Just like that. Look at that. Super yeah. excited. She's <laughs> always excited. I, is the framework of soul archaeology basically the framework of what this sort of radical transformation that you've been through in the last four years? Absolutely. Because you're like, this shit is a plan. It's a map. It's worked for me. Yeah. Listen, sisters, let's get on, and brothers, let's get on board. Let's let's crush it. Soul archaeology, first off, it's the idea that you can only see one layer at a time. And when you actually start to wake up to the fact that something hurts, you want to fix everything right away and you want to go right into the deep shit. And that's great, right? You're trying really hard to escape what hurts you and reach for a tool, which is usually to anesthetize and not think about what hurts you, right? But the truth is you can only dig one layer at a time. It's like an archaeological dig site. And the way I, I think about it is this way, right? You you go to like in the book, I, I go like, imagine I'm like fat Angelina Jolie or like Indiana Jones, and I go up to an archaeological site and I see like like something in the dirt. And so I start to brush the dirt off. And then a boob reveals itself, and then you brush that off, and then a torso <laughs> reveals itself, and then you brush that off. And then soon, at some point in time, you unearth the fertility statue. Unearthing yourself unearthing your ultimate you is done exactly like that. You don't find it by reaching out for an external solution. You find it by slowly unearthing the layers of what you can see when you can see it. Because I got to tell you, the first piece of all of this for me, one of the first pieces was one, realizing that I was not having the relationships that I wanted to have with men. And two, Um, It took me 19 years to realize that a relationship that I had in college was probably sexually abusive by coercion. And once I saw that, it allowed me to unlock. So the idea of soul archaeology is you see what you see 
in the order that you can see it. And here's my way to take your hand and guide you through seeing it. Because so much of self-help is based on big things that are strategies and not tactical. But if you don't get tactical, your self-help is worth shit. It's just ideas that look pretty and make great memes. I don't care about that. What I care about is somebody who has never felt comfortable or safe making a change, who feels stuck, having enough fucking beautiful courage to say, this hurts me. Start where it hurts. I am ready to say, this hurts me. Okay, great. If you can do that, you have got the next step. If you can continually ask yourself, what is hurting me right now? And you can answer that question and you can take some action from that, then you will unearth yourself. And that's what the idea of soul archaeology is. And that's what the map is about. The map is about, here's how to come to the table. Here's the order of shit that I thought about. And let's get real about what self-love looks like in actual reality. Because in actual reality, self-love could mean, like we were talking about earlier, accepting all the really icky, hard stuff that you've done when you subconsciously were hurting yourself. Well, nobody wants to do that. That's not fun. Nobody wants to have that moment where they say, man, I really hurt myself. Or I had a long-term affair with a married man. What kind of person does that make me? Right? Like, those things are not pretty and not fun, but if you can be both accountable for them and compassionate for them, then you can see them and move through them. And if they have been coloring your movie in your mind, then that's the only way you'll rewrite it. So yeah, soul archaeology is based on the idea that you see what you see when you can see it. And this is not a rush this is not a game. It's just one fucking layer of self-actualization at a time. And at the end of the day, there is no end. There is no after because there is no before. You are just a messy squiggle. You are a scrunchie that goes on and on and on and on because until the day you are no longer breathing, until you, the day you do not wake up, you are evolving and you are changing, right? The idea behind diet culture is that there is a before and a middle and an end. We are broken, we are working on it, we are fixed and healed, right? That's, that's wellness culture in so many ways. But the idea of soul archaeology and self-love is that there's no such thing. We're just going to keep going around and around and around. You're going to hit your core wounds again and again and again. Your shit is your shit. So just start making peace with it and get better at navigating it. So that way when you hit your shit, it doesn't hurt you and control you as much as it did when you were younger, right? Because we never stop. There is no after. There is no freaking magical happy ending where you know, the book closes the chapter and then all of a sudden, boom, it's better, right? It's not like that. You go on and on. So every time you feel disconnected, every time you feel like you've fallen away from yourself, every time go back to what self-love actually is and, and say, what is my ultimate you need right now? And how do I serve that? And that becomes your strategy. It's, a, it's as I wrote, a totally doable approach to creating a self-loving and liberated life. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. No. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's clear. Remember? Well, no what's easy is, is bullshit anyway. It's bullshit. Yep. You know, I what's interesting about the word easy is that it gives the illusion of painless. But like when I finally realized that easy actually can mean the hardest path. Like, do you know what I mean? That the lightest in that 
leaving a relationship that doesn't serve you or having hard conversations in a relationship, that is actually the direct path to evolution. And it actually is the easier path. The hard path is the one where you're full of shit and you build up tons of addictions well, and you're you just making, run from you all your truth. You are making it harder on yourself to right. evolve. You're, you're like, you I'm going to, whether like there are no shortcuts, there's some long fucking cuts though. There's some long, like I think about how many years it takes to wake up from a pattern. And as you said, if you're breathing, you're going to keep waking up from patterns. And that's actually indicative of your evolution, not of your brokenness. It's not our fault per se, because I mean, I'm not going to get into a, you know, big thing about systematic whatever, but like the culture that we live in teaches us how to solution find and how to make easy, fast choices. And it's monetizable. How, yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. You have whole industries created just to try to sell you a shortcut. Right. And we've done, we've done that down to 15 seconds. If you can't tell somebody what they need to learn life in 15 seconds, then you'll never be famous and you'll never be able to. Isn't that fucking crazy? It's fucking like we have lost the ability to critically think. Holy Shit. Critical thinking is so sexy and so important. I know this is a big issue. Sorry. But I'm like. I'm 100% with you. Yeah. Like we have, we are not modeling as a society the ability to do what you said self-love is, which is tell the truth. We're not telling the truth. We're trying to avoid hurting people's feelings in order to have the most uh, cohesive, quote unquote, relationship. But it's all bullshit. It's it's fake. It's all fake altruism, fake virtuosity. You know, it's all fucking performative. I'm like, I want the raw realness truth of someone. I don't give a fuck who someone votes for or what they, I want to know why you want to vote for someone. I want to know the juiciness of the human need that you have. Yeah, I agree with you. The critical thing, short attention spans, have birthed a lot of challenges. And, you know, we're both 44, although you are somewhat older. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> we have experienced, and we are one of the last generations to know the world prior to technology. And so we know the beauty of getting on your bike and riding to your friend's house or like saying that you're going to meet at the mall and having to, you know, like just the, the adventure that was undocumented, you know, that the mystery of the adventure. You know, I don't have videos and pictures of every fucking thing I did with friends when I was a kid. You would just go and you'd build a bike jump or you do, you know, you do a lot of cool stuff. I'll call you when I get home. Yeah. 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 So when you go to get a book deal or when you go to do work or ask anybody for money or whatever kind of business support, they really want to know who are you talking to, right? And I'm a people pleaser, so I want to talk to everybody, right? But no, what I realized, the the core person that I feel that I can serve the best is a plus size woman who's old enough to remember life before the internet. So somebody who remembers what it was like to, to exist as a woman, as a young person, maybe as a plus size person at a time when what we were learning about our bodies was very specific and different than it is now, right? Like how we what we see, what has influenced, it's just so different, man. And I look at TikTok and I, and I know I should be on the tick of the talk, but like, I just, I don't, I don't have it in me. And sometimes I get on there I don't and either. I go, this is fall of Rome. Like I can see it happening in front of my face and I feel really bad and really old that I don't have the patience. And I'm so sorry to any of you who love TikTok, but like, <sighs> well, it's the first 
platform that really went content forward. So they present content ahead of who you follow. And then Instagram followed their strategy, which meant that I'm going to show you a video that keeps you on the platform longer rather than a video from someone you follow, which is brilliant from an algorithmic exploitive point of view. But I, you know, I agree with you. I think there's we're in an interesting space. And I was listening to the book Letting Go by David Hawkins recently. And in it, he talks about how like we get attached to this idea that times are bad or things are destructive or thing the war is upon us. And he's like, those can be true, but that's always true. Like there's always a moment, life swings, things change. And when I think about that, it's so easy to get caught up in the like constant evolution that's going on, especially in technology. That part of me just wants to be like, tap out. <laughs> like, I'm just going to get a farm, some chickens, yeah. a goat. I tell everybody that if I wasn't trying to do what I'm doing, the first thing I would do is turn off my my social media and make it private and just walk away. Like I, and I, and there, I've seen social media do many, many, many wonderful things, but at the same point in time, sometimes I, I wonder if it's a, if it's a system and a tool that I just want to keep being a part of. It just in so many ways, it has not made my life better, but in so many ways, I'm very, very lucky, right? I mean, right. you Same. and I are having Same. this conversation. Yeah. I'm able to do this simply because of social media, right? So I'm very grateful for that. I'm very, I'm so grateful of the women that I've been able to hug in person and have at retreats and create spaces for them. That's awesome. But the currency of what you trade for that is so hard. It's so yeah, hard. It's a lot of demands on the social, on the nervous system. Yeah. And I, and I think about, again, I, I, I know I sound so cliche, but I think about what young people, how it must be like to grow up with social media now. And I don't know, I, I don't know. It makes me concerned and really. I now it. feel like we sound like the old people who used to we talk do. to us, Yeah, you know, who are like, one day you'll learn. Yeah. You know, like one you day you'll see it's not about tomatoes? that. Have you seen Fried Green Yeah. Tomatoes? Yeah. I forget so, who's is Meryl Streep in that? No, it's it's uh Kathy Bates and Jessica yeah. Tandy. Well, I've gotten to the stage where I'm now Tawanda when she goes, Face it girls, I'm older and have more insurance. And uh-huh. she smashes it's it's a great moment. Who anybody never ever saw it's Kathy Bates. And she's like been really mousy and taken advantage of her whole life. And she she gets some courage and she decides to like stick up for herself. And she goes to the supermarket and like the young hot girls zip in front of her car, like in a little bug. And they go, face it, lady, we're, we're younger and faster. And she just fucking, the switch flips and she backs up and she just starts smashing their car and they come running out of the supermarket and she goes, face it, girls, I'm older and have better insurance. And she just <laughs> runs away laughing. And I feel like I've gotten, I've gotten to that age. And you know what? It's okay. It just it is. It, it just is. is, right? It just, it just it's, is. It's hilarious and ridiculous and it just is. It's the privilege of aging, you know, that you finally start to realize some things and and develop awareness. And I, you know, you were speaking to the cultural momentum of our times. And I think what's interesting and and I think one of the, the, the sources of what we're speaking of is that we are in a society that villainizes aging and devalues, especially women as they age. And so, you know, I'm a, I have this 
belief that unconsciously, if we reject aging, we actually reject, we can't take in the wisdom that is inherent with accepting our aging. And, be, and you opened the door for this just now because you, you mentioned the discrepancy and the difference in the journey within society of aging because there's a personal journey of aging and then there's sort of the reconciliation of aging within the greater context of society. I've started to have that conversation of the realization that as a woman, my viability in social eyes, like I'm, I'm losing it, man. We're, I'm there. Like it's, it's happening. Um, and the slow mourning process of feeling that viability slip away from you while also knowing that you have never been smarter and more self-aware and more confident and more powerful. It's like, it's like a pulling apart. It's like stretching something, right? So on, on one side of the stretcher, you have society telling you that every day I am less valuable. My body is less valuable. My boobs have more gravity and I got more wrinkles. Like I, and, and more and more and more and more and more, I walk into a room and I'm invisible, which as a plus size woman, you're can be relatively invisible in general, but then you add on top of it the fact that you're you're in your 40s. Like this is a real thing for women. This is fucking real. This like, is one of those truths you're talking about. This is about. one of those really icky truths. But how cruel is it that that happens when I have never felt more empowered and smarter and more at peace with who I am. Mm. How how cruel is that? And I have those thoughts sometimes when I'm when I'm trying to reconcile this, you know, like it's the same thing. And again, for, forgive me guys if for getting very intimate as women hit their sexual peak in exploration and and men fall away from that like they pull they pull away. It's a, it's a cosmic away. joke. It's, it's a cosmic it's, joke. It is. And then you just go but it's not on me. The joke is not on me. It's not my joke. It's not, it's the human joke. And in the book, I talk about a time where I was looking at my boob one day and I had, I had lost a bunch of weight by them. Literally, I had my boob in my hand and it was like wrinkly. And I, and I started to feel like really crappy about myself. And I started to cry because I'm like, who's going to want to ever see this wrinkly boob? Like it looks like out of that Vincent Price whack house of wax like I just look like I'm, and I just started to like feel like shit and then I realized Sarah millions and millions of women who have have existed on this planet have gotten saggy tits before you and not only that you're gonna be gone and they're gonna get saggy tits after you so what makes you think that this is about you this is the human experience so then rather being ashamed of it rather than saying yeah man this it's all my fault that I'm aging. It's all my fault that part of life feels like it's slipping away while another part is just coming into full view. Mm. It's just not about me. It just is. And you just, just yeah. it just goes back to the surrendering of that. It just is. You can do what you can, right? And now it would not be self-loving to deny the pain of that. It would not be self-loving to cover up those feelings with, with difficult stuff. But it is self-loving to say, okay, if this is the reality, 
How can I stay connected to myself and how can I serve myself? Okay, well, if the reality of aging in a 44-year-old body is that my muscle mass is going to start to be a problem, then yeah, fuck yeah. Self-love for me means I need to be strength training like a motherfucker every day. I agree. Like get those squats in, get what those deadlifts. What is self-love? Self-love is not, is not giving up. Self-love is meeting yourself where you're at. I love that. I love that that because um, I think a lot of uh, the work of Carl Jung and talking about like the alchemical process of taking and, you know, even merging David Hawkins book, Letting Go, where he talks about like, let the feeling be. Yeah. Just let it be and then and let it move through you. But resisting it is what causes the pain. And I think of what you're saying as the increase in your wisdom, your viability, your self-worth, all these things at its maximum, right? Like you're at maximum, you're hit the top because you're telling the truth and you're with the truth. And then at the same time, you're feeling the grief of your value in the perception of how society tends to value women. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think of that as this interesting sacred tension, you know, because it is sacred. You're saying it's collective. And yeah. it is collective. Yes. And so there's a grief to how society values women, which on a lot of levels is is also uh, evolutionary based and then is then also monetized. And then media just extrapolates and, and, and increases these perceptions that you and I have about men and women and value and all these things that we have to learn. And it's fucked up that it's not usually like I meet some young people today and I'm like, way to fucking go. I don't know. Like they're like, man, my mom and dad brought me to Wayne Dyer. I'm like, shit, that's insane. <laughs> I went to the Catholic church and it was not the same. It was still teaching me my value is in obeying some old guy who's not, who they tell you is white, but he's not actually white, but this like old guy in the sky, sky daddy. And it's, and is teaching me this hierarchy of systems and approval. And I think about like what a cosmic joke it is that you figure out how to decouple your value from what they teach you your value is when um, you are finally liberated. And that is really the journey of, let's say, mother, maiden, crone, and like the journey of men through into eldership as well. That, gosh, if we can get to the place where we can take the pain we feel now of the awareness that we have, that we then have this conversation that allows someone who's still in that tension yeah. that isn't willing to acknowledge it, mm -hmm. but also someone younger to be like, holy fuck, my value isn't in that shit, but... I also need to value myself. And if I'm going to value myself, that means becoming the most savage, badass, outspoken, truth-telling, blah, blah. And you can't tell truths outside of you till you tell truths inside of you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Do you Does that think make sense? so? Yeah. But do you think that, that that which you are talking about is something that has to come with age or does it come with either age or circumstance? Like you either probably both, both, right? Or, or one or the other, because I certainly know young people. Like I listened to Jewel, uh, the singer on Joe Rogan's podcast. It was like a four hour episode. I listened to the whole thing. This chick was sober in her late teens, was doing personal growth programs on her own that she was creating through her own fucking channel. And I was like, I wasn't thinking about that. Shit yeah, at 19. No. I was thinking about ditties. You know, I was thinking about like sports. I was thinking about hanging with friends. I was thinking about drinking. I was avoiding my pain, which is exactly what society is perfectly ushers you through. And, and so no, I, I, I think it comes with experience, but it also comes with what you're inviting here, which is the willingness to tell the truth about your experiences. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, look, I'm not a therapist. I don't have any fancy credentials. All I have is a willingness to be honest about things with people and and a confidence that I know that I have a way of speaking to people that can be both vulnerable and painful, but also tinged with hope, right? So that's the only thing I have. That's that's it. it that's it. Um, but if that brings somebody to the table to start asking their own questions, then I have done my job. That's the only part of this process that I have to do. All I have to do is bring somebody to the table. That's it. Well, shit, you got a lot of people at this table. So, um, hey, can I can I tell you a random joke? Because you were just do you do you? It's not really a joke. I don't even know that you're going to think it's that funny. But since we're talking about our youth, do you know what one of my first real jobs was? You don't know what I was the marketing girl for Chippendales. No way, like the yeah. the like Australian. No, that's the thunder uh, from down under. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> of which I got kicked out of once. Your girl got kicked out of thunder from down under once. Oh, were you getting a little too thundery? Uh, yeah, I was on a secret co op mission for my job, and I and I got a little. I guess I got a little rowdy, but yeah, no, yeah, that was what. That's so you how did I spent marketing for 20s. Chippendales. Mm-hmm. I was a music I mean, major in, in that's college. Amazing. I studied opera. I did nothing with it. I moved to Vegas. Natural segue to Chippendales. Totally, totally connected. Um, and I started working in PR, and then that pulled me into Chippendales. And I share that because when I when I say that, um, <laughs> people go, "Oh, now you make so much more sense." Because I think one of the like because you can only show pieces of yourself on social media. So many people don't realize that I have a filthy mind and sense of humor. A very. If I worked for Chippendales or whatever, what would be the like sapphires or something? What are the strip clubs in Vegas? Uh, yeah, it would be. You could say like like what would be the the dude version of that would be. Well, maybe you worked for like one of the the female reviews. Maybe one of those uh those dumb lingerie football leagues. You know, have you seen those where they're like, we play aggressive football in lingerie? I'm like, that's just impractical. Like, Somebody once asked me to be their jello wrestling partner. Does that count? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I have ne- Have I ever wrestled in jello? I might have. No, come on. There's remember. no way you have. Have you really? If I you have, remember. then this conversation is continuing offline because <laughs> I need to know the story. Somebody <laughs> asked me, I was working with I can't remember convention. if I have. Is that a problem that I can't remember? Well, it's more so intriguing that it could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, like, like you're actually entertaining. Maybe. In my brain, I'm like, have I, or is it just from watching old school? You know, like, I feel like, I don't know. know. Like, that's my boy, Blue. Uh, you're my boy, Blue. Sorry, you were saying though? No, 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 no. I, I was, I don't remember where the story was going, but I was working a convention once with, with some Chippendales, it was a, a bridal convention, and somebody came up to me and asked me if I wanted to Jello wrestle. And the guy I was with was like, "You should do it." And I was like, "Well, what color Jello are we talking about?" Because <laughs> That's I'm like, the concern. It, that was my concern. If it was orange or blue, I don't think it would look good for my skin complexion. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate this podcast because I, I have showed up so fully as myself that it. I'm not going to say it will be shocking to some people, but. I appreciate that it's able to be really just a conversation and not a formal interview because I think that makes for the best the best stuff and the best invitation for people to know that we're all human and flawed and messy and you know all those fun things. 
Well, listen, there's no uh, better person to guide us than a person who's walked something and then just drawn the map. And, you know, for all the people who are listening, who feel a connection to you, your work, I mean, you bring levity to life. And in my opinion, uh, levity is actually important because it allows us to surrender and soften into the truths of our lives. Because what are we going to do if we can't laugh at the bullshit, at the things we've done, you know? Yeah. Which I'm not even sure if I've jello wrestled, but if I have, fuck yeah, that was amazing. Slip does this and slide. mean at some point in time, I'm not, okay, this is gonna, I'm not saying that you and I should jello wrestle. <laughs> 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 there needs to be some sort of conjoined retreat where an optional. Where there's jello wrestling. Jealous. They're like, what is this? A weird uh, <laughs> in, sexual innuendo retreat? Um, okay. So this book, Soul Archaeology, Thank you for walking us through sort of the premises of it and and your path that has led you to writing it. Uh, where can people find more of you? Where can people find the book? The book is everywhere books are sold. Uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Not everywhere because I'm not that cool. But, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. You can find it all on my website, sarahsapora.com, um, or go straight to Amazon and just search for my name. There's only one of me, and you'll see that big, goofy, smiling face popping through the, the book cover going, hey, I got hey. you. Knuckle bump, fist bump. We got this. We're doing Sarah, this. Sarah, such a pleasure. I've had so much fun in this Thank conversation. You. I'm just, I'm, I'm really so grateful. You. You've made room for me. Thank you so much, Mark. I oh my God. It. So easy. You're such an easy choice. So I appreciate you. Thank you. I will talk to you soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate your time. <laughs>